Hey, hey, get ready to talk like a brand and live your best brand life. I'm Peachy Williams, your brand voice builder. Today, we're going to be discussing the different types of branding that can work for you. Have you ever thought about the brands that have similar products and services, but they have their own identities? What happens to help you stand out from your competitors? And how does branding tie into that? Before you even start putting together a brand strategy, these are the things that you need to know so you can select which ones work for you, which ones don't. And sometimes you can actually cross brand with the different types of branding. The first type of branding you should be familiar with is product branding, because this is when you brand a single product. Take, for instance, Coca Pepsi. You know what it is from the logo and colors. There are different types of product branding, though. You can use this type of branding for a single product to launch something new, or you can brand an entire line of products within the family. But you must know that when you're branding a product, it is a singular product that stands out amongst the competition. So let's talk about bread. You have different types of bread. You have Nature's Own. You have Wonder Bread. You have different department store, grocery store breads. All of these are part of product branding. And if you take your time and walk down the bread aisle and look at the different ways in which they brand their products, each one is different. Each one stands out. And this is before you even start to taste the bread, right? So these are the things that you should be thinking about when you offer products and services. How are you going to differentiate yourself from the competition beyond the logo and colors? How are you going to speak to your audience to make sure that they know, like, and trust your brand? So the second one is corporate branding. And a lot of times you see corporate branding when you're creating an identity for the entire company rather than just a product or line of products. So think about values mission, brand voice, their personality. So when we're talking about major companies or umbrella company, maybe you could be talking about Procter & Gamble. This is very effective when you're trying to gain loyal customers. And it can be very advantageous when you start hiring because these people recognize your brand. And we all know Procter & Gamble is huge and they have a lot of different brands underneath that umbrella. So When you have a huge corporation before you even start into getting granular into your products, you know, you do that first. You brand the corporation, but sometimes you do product and corporate branding together. So for instance, let's think about General Mills. You know them from Cheerios and their line of cereals, and that's a strong product brand, right? But as a corporation, their branding extends into their other food choices that they sell. And a lot of times people kind of differentiate the brand from the things that they love within that brand. So you may not even realize that they have other food choices because you're stuck on the Cheerios brand, but you have to know as a corporation, they have other products that they do sell. So let's talk a little bit about personal branding because in this digital age, you may actually be your brand, right? And of course, there are different types of personal branding. Because you're creating an image for yourself to convey who you are to your audience. You see personal branding all the time. It could be a politician or a professional sports person, internet personalities, politicians, celebrities, thought leaders, and influencers. 
a good personal branding example in digital space now is someone who is online all the time, probably Neil Patel. And it's funny because he didn't necessarily want to be a personal brand, but he is. And people listen to him. He influences how people work and move in this digital space. So that's a good personal brand. But when we think about personalities or we think about politicians, you can think about a president. That's a personal brand or a sports professional, LeBron James. He definitely is his own brand in addition to the other brands that he encompasses. So when you think of personal branding, if you're trying to brand yourself as a life coach or as an influencer in certain spaces, you want to think about your personal branding and how you're going to convey that to your audience. Then we have cultural branding. And you see cultural branding a lot in tourism. And it allows businesses to develop an image based on the region. So this is also similar to geographical branding where people use foods, websites, or different aspects of the culture to attract visitors. So when you think about the Miami tourist attractions or maybe Jamaica, someplace warm, beautiful, or when you think about going overseas to Paris and places like that, those companies are designed to brand those places to change perception and make people want to go there. So that's cultural and geographical branding where, you know, the object is to get people to love that space and to get tourists to come or to even have pride in your own country. So cultural branding is very, very strong. That's a huge audience. We all know tourism is very, very strong, even beyond the pandemic. So then there's service branding. And this type of branding deals with what the company has to offer their customers. And one of the most important aspects of this type of branding is great customer service because it makes people remember why they patronize that company. Different companies send invites to special events for their VIP clients. Or think about when you purchase something or you're a loyal purchaser, you get incentives, right? Whether it's a gift card or different special coupons, if you own one of their credit cards, you could get offered upgrades or Depending on a certain type of credit card you have, you have a line where you are dedicated to where they answer all your questions. They give you 24-7 support. And this is a part of service branding because companies realize that the consumers are what drives purchases and purchases is what keeps them in business, right? So one of the main things companies think about is how they're going to brand their service so that people know, like, and trust it and also love it and patronize it. So then let's talk about co-branding a little bit because you've seen a lot of co-branding, especially during the pandemic. And this is when two or more companies, they join forces to create a new offering. So that means that you're going to see elements of both companies. One of the advantages of co-branding is it kind of exposes your business or each business to reach new audiences. And it can also build a stronger brand image for the new product or service, right? Some customers may only know about one brand, but others may know about the other. So this makes it advantageous for the other brand because of that added exposure. For instance, a good example is Doritos and Taco Bell. Or I know everybody saw the Starbucks and Shopify partnership, Apple and MasterCard, Pottery Barn and Sherman Williams, and GoPro and Adidas. Those are all really good examples of co-branding. And co-branding can happen with celebrities, 
you know, you see all these sports athletes doing commercials for Sprite. Those are all co-branding ventures between the two brands to bring something great together. So then that brings us to online branding, which works well for smaller companies who are looking to build brand awareness and build their following. With online branding, you're going to have a combination of social media ads, blog posts, and possibly a website. And everybody knows you really need a website in this digital space. All of this content on your online branding should show your brand's personality, brand voice somewhat. It should also reflect your values and help position you as an authority in your field. So when you think about people who specifically work online and that's where the audience is, you know how they're going to speak to you and their brand voice is what attracted you in the first place. You also value what they have to offer. So it kind of positions you as an authority in your field or in their field for people to kind of gravitate to them and find out what they're saying. Then there's offline branding. When you're working with clients in person, that's offline branding. Real estate agents, offline branding. It could be as simple as handing out business cards, but think about the companies that do kind of like lunch and learn events, other networking activities, associations. When you're working in a space where you can communicate with others face-to-face, that's offline branding. And again, that ties into your personal brand, especially if you're not doing it for a company, but you're doing it for yourself. So do you see how those two kind of work together to build one brand? That means that the face of your spokesperson of your brand needs to be there. People need to know who they are. So when you're thinking about some of those types of offline branding mascots, think about Ronald McDonald. You know, they have the Ronald McDonald houses now, but offline branding is definitely what Ronald McDonald, that character was supposed to be there to do. That's also thing, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, offline branding. You know, you want to be there with the people. You want to be able to touch them. You want to be able to speak to them because you are still branding your company because you're representing that company, but you're doing it in a more personal way. So one of the weirdest things people don't really understand is the concept of no brand branding. And yes, it is definitely a thing. No brand branding can also be considered minimalist branding because that's what you're getting, the bare minimum. The packaging and design is very basic or neutral. The pricing is affordable and everything is somewhat generic. So this type of branding appeals to customers who don't necessarily want all the glitz and glamour and they don't want to have a lot of different choices. They want it there, right there. This is what we offer. This is no frills, you know, like that. So these are brands that also compete with well-established brands, but they don't necessarily advertise the way the big brands do, but they do offer a similar quality at a lower cost. So when we're thinking about no brand branding, kind of think about a grocery store's brand of spaghetti sauce against maybe Ragu or Walmart's Equate brand against a larger entity or even Walgreens or CVS. You walk in and when you're looking for bandages, you see the big brand Band-Aid and then you also see Walgreens or CVS. And that is no brand branding. I mean, they're branding themselves, but they are not going as far as the big brands to kind of like draw your attention to their products. It's just there. The cost is lower. 
it does the same thing. And so for the people who are cost conscious and who don't necessarily believe in all the big brands, that's exactly what they go for. So ingredient branding highlights a single ingredient of the brand to draw interest and sometimes intrigue, most of the time intrigue. And ingredient branding also helps with customer trust and loyalty. So think about the honest company when you're talking about baby products or think about a car company when they advertise, they're advertising the power of the engine of a luxury car or think about gas companies who are talking about they have detergent in their gas that helps the engine. So mobile. We see this every day though when we work with computers. How many times have you looked down at your computer and you see a sticker that says Intel inside or you go looking for a computer and there's a sticker on there that says Intel inside. That's ingredient branding. Intel is that ingredient that's inside your product that is going to make you want to get that product because Intel has branded themselves as the number one in that space. Does that make sense? So finally, let's talk a little bit about activist branding. So this is when brands commit themselves to social issues to kind of reinforce their company values. And we've seen this a lot, especially with all the unrest and things that are going on behind the scenes right now. But one of the things about activist branding, companies have to back their promises up. So you see all these companies saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Now, there are a lot of companies who stepped out into the forefront and they have actually put their money where their mouth is and they've been offering grants and doing all these things. But then you have some companies who just said, you know, we supported, we're going to do these things, but they haven't even put initiatives in place. The companies that are being in the forefront and who are actually pushing to do more, they are great examples of activist branding. They are putting their best foot forward. They want to be part of the change. Nike is always at the forefront of activist branding. And they had this campaign, Just Don't Do It, which was like huge if you haven't seen it. And that campaign was all about them saying, don't pretend there's not a problem in America and don't turn your back on racism. And Nike leads the pack in the way that they stand up for injustice. They lead the pack in being different. They lead the pack in saying right is right and wrong is wrong. And so when it comes to activist branding, if you're looking for a great example, look at Nike. Thank you, Nike. So those are all the different types of branding, but how do you determine which one or which ones to choose? So here are a few tips. First, you need to think about the image you want to create. And so in that image, you know, you have your identity, which is similar to brand voice. What words are you using to describe your brand? And what are the characteristics that make your brand different? This should always tie into your core value and mission. And then you need to consider how you want to make a difference in your field. And that all ties back to your why. Your why, why does your brand exist? Why does it matter? Why do you matter? Next, you're going to think about the objectives of your brand, and that's going to directly overlap with your identity. So you need to identify those objectives to reach your goals. And it's also going to direct you to the right type of branding that's going to make it happen. And then you need to think about your audience because branding is about you and what your audience wants. You can't be selfish. You have to think about your ideal audience, their interests, 
and the demographics. So most brands combine several of these branding types to effectively reach their audiences. They want to know their audience is listening. So your ultimate goal will be brand loyalty that converts to sales. That was it. Now you know the 12 types of branding that you should be thinking about. And as you work through your brand and you look at your brand voice and determine which ones work for you, you'll be surprised how much you get accomplished. Until next time, check us out at The Right Mix, W-R-I-T-E-M-I-X-X dot com. <laughs>